Hey everyone, my name is Emilise. And I'm Madison. We're students at the University of Miami, and we've been exploring an important topic. How is the environmental crisis impacting the way people are voting in the 2020 presidential election? Today marks one week until Election Day, and we talked to a series of experts to hear their thoughts. Dave Downey spoke with the leading expert in the field of environmental science and policy. Dave, what can you tell us? Yeah, hey, Emma, I had the chance to sit down virtually, of course, with Catherine Mock. Uh, she's an associate professor and graduate program director at Rasmus in the Department of Marine Ecosystems and Society. She was a lead author of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's sixth assessment report and the U.S.'s fourth national climate report. We discussed where climate change is now here at the turn of the decade and what could be at stake for the next administration in the next four years. So in terms of the world around us right now, we see climate impacts happening just about everywhere we look, uh, whether it's the way that a warmer atmosphere can hold more water, so heavier rainfall can come down, or the way that heat extremes in all different shapes and forms are being changed and intensified in our current climate. So we look around at these impacts, they're affecting people and societies and nature and economies. And I think the real question moving forward is how do we deploy the technologies that exist now to address the root cause of the climate challenge, our emissions of heat-trapping gases to the atmosphere, at the same time that we need to make sure we make sound investments to keep people and nature safe as the climate will continue to change. Awesome. So what do you think is at stake for this, for this next administration entering office in January? Yeah, climate change science for a long time has looked at scenarios of the future. What might mm -hmm. our futures look like? And in terms of climate change, there are some very desirable futures, and there are also some that would pose substantial widespread and irreversible impacts for us across the nation, but also globally. And I think it's critical to recognize that our choices for reducing emissions of heat-trapping gases over the next five to 10 years are absolutely essential. If we plow ahead as we are, we may well set ourselves on a course for two or four times as much warming as has already occurred. Mm -hmm. While limiting warming substantially will require ambitiously moving forward with those technologies that exist now that we know how to do, we just need to deploy at scale. The, the dependence on the next generation is really going to be impacted of what we do in the next in the next 10 years, because I think you know, if we keep going on the same, you know, down in the rabbit hole, I think we could, I don't think the next generation is going to have an easy job to reverse um, what we've done in the last, you know, probably 40 or 50 years. Um, thank you, Catherine. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to add and j just in general about the climate system or about what could be impacted in this election? Um, well, I would say the way you emphasize that the next generation is critical, and this is about the longevity of sustainable systems mm -hmm. in Florida, in the U.S., globally, not just in the moment right now, but for the decades ahead is absolutely essential to what's at stake and also the opportunities on the table. So it was really interesting how Catherine, who's such an expert in the environmental policy area, kept things pretty unpolitical. Yeah, she really did, Emma, I, especially since her research really assesses climate change risks and how to address, you know, increased flooding, the heat, the wildfires in California and other hazards. Um, she added that it's really essential for the U.S. to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord that President Trump backed us out of in his administration. So we're going to see what happens in the next one and see, 
you know, what effects that can have in the next 20 to 30 years. So on the topic of politics, let's actually get political now. Rodrigo Otto sat down with a political science expert. Thanks, Emma. Um, I had the chance to talk to Jorge Gonzalez. He's a professor of political science at the University of Miami who specializes in U.S. environmental politics and policy. I wanted to get his perspective on the two main candidates in the upcoming election regarding their stance on environmental issues. Before we talked about each individual candidate, he impressed onto me that the status of environmental progress in the United States, or lack thereof, extends even further out than just the platforms that Donald Trump and Joe Biden are campaigning on. So. I'm going to put this in a broader context, which is that the American state broadly is a global warming denial state. The American state has not taken any what can be considered to be decisive action on the question of global warming. And so the United States, far from engaging the question of global warming, acts as if global warming is not a reality. The United States uh, continues to consume massive amounts of fossil fuels through hydrofracking, through the Canadian oil sands, is seeking to access massive amounts of new fossil fuels to bring on to the market. The United States has the one major political party, which is officially a climate change denier party in the Republican Party. Uh, I believe that we have to do everything we can to have immaculate air, immaculate water, and do whatever else we can that's good. You know, we're planting a billion trees, the Billion Tree Project, and it's very exciting. Do you believe for a lot that, of that human pollution, gas, greenhouse gas emissions contributes to the global warming of the planet? I think planet? a lot of things do, but I think to an extent, yes. The Democrats, while rhetorically acknowledging the truth of underlying the science of global warming, nevertheless, their policies are enacted and the future of these policies is as if global warming is not real. I actually have studied your plan and it includes upgrading 4 million buildings, weatherizing yes. 2 million homes over four years, building 1.5 million energy efficient homes. So the question becomes, some, the president is saying, I think some people who support the president would say that sounds like it's going to cost a lot of money and hurt the economy. What it's going to do is going to create thousands and millions of jobs. If you look at the Paris Accord, it was a disaster from our standpoint. And people are actually very happy about what's going on. First thing I will do, I will rejoin the Paris Accord. I will join the Paris Accord because with us out of it, look what's happening. It's all falling apart. Joe Biden has not shied away from discussing his vision for the U.S.'s role in the environment during his campaign. He's spoken of a clean energy revolution that involves investing $1.7 trillion to reduce the United States' total emissions to a net zero by 2050, funding research and development that he claims will lead to more than 10 million jobs across the country, and rejoining the Paris Climate Accord. While certainly encouraging, George was critical of Biden's commitment to making meaningful change. Biden is going to talk a good game. I suspect, but again, do substantively nothing to change the trajectory of America's energy consumption. And he's going to do nothing in terms of a global warming treaty. But again, his words of reassurance that something's happening when it's not is going to serve to demobilize people. Shifting over to Donald Trump, his environmental stance has been heavily criticized as being inconsistent and vague. In the past, he's dismissed climate change as an expensive hoax, but has shifted recently to a few reliable talking points, which are, in essence, clean water and clean air. In terms of policy, he supported legislation to remove garbage from the ocean 
an initiative to plant one trillion trees while also reversing many climate policies that were put in place by the Obama administration and backing the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Accord. Here's what George had to say about President Trump. But with Donald Trump, what you're looking at is someone that is trying to basically very consciously take people backwards. And so here you have a, a political figure that really quite honestly, quite openly is a reactionary, just the ease with which he lies. He has no concern at all whether or not he's telling the truth. And I know that politicians are not known for their truth telling, but at least we generally find that they will be dance around the truth, be careful, do some fact checking, right? Donald Trump has just no concerns about that. So Rodrigo, it sounds like George had some criticisms of both Joe Biden and President Trump, but we really need to focus on a bigger picture here beyond any candidates. Yeah, that was definitely the impression I got from George, especially that this isn't a bipartisan issue. This is something that every single American citizen needs to examine carefully because this is an issue for tomorrow or the next election. This environmental change is something that needs to be dealt with yesterday. And so this is an extremely important thing to keep in mind for future generations. So speaking of the younger generation, we did our own research on what young people had to say about the upcoming election and environmental issues. Alex Budka is going to take us through it. Yeah, thanks, Emma. To find out what University of Miami students thought, we sent out a survey with two questions. One being which of the following are the top three issues influencing your vote in the 2020 presidential election? And on a scale of one to five, how much are the candidates' stances on environmental issues influencing your vote decision in the 2020 election? Out of 223 responses, the environment ranks second highest just behind social justice issues with 130 votes. That means 58%, more than half of those who filled out the survey, believe that the environment is a top three issue influencing their vote in the election. 142 ranked the environment's influence on their decision of four or above on a scale of one to five. While this was just a survey of UM students, we think this is a pretty accurate representation of the opinions of young voters across the country. Now more than ever, Americans, young Americans at least, are taking the climate crisis seriously and want to elect someone into power who will do something about it. It's something that sometimes is glossed over, I would say, with elections, and it's a problem that's really becoming pressing. So I think as we vote, like as young people, as Gen Z can start to vote, that's something that we really should be passionate about because it affects us and it affects our futures. While the outcome of the election can certainly influence the average student, we decided to ask a UM student-run business directly focused on the environment how they think the election will affect their company. I sat down with Jack Vandermolen, a founder of the company CycleCheck, to hear his opinion. I do not think the election will impact our business. I do think it will impact our world. But for us, the, the market that we work in, the you know, green sustainability market, that's going to grow either way. Um, so for us, as a company, we're not too worried about, about the election. I'm sure it would have... It will have some effect on, you know, obviously policies, um, but for us, it's not, you know, a major priority for the company, but it will change people's mindsets and maybe encourage people to think green. It's great to hear that small businesses like Cycle will still go on as a company, regardless of who's elected president. But what could change is the attitude of the American people towards the importance of environmental conservation. Madison, you got to speak with an environmental consultant. How did it go? 
It was a great conversation. We spoke about the direct effects the environment can have on our economy, which is a huge voter concern in this election. The longer we wait, the bigger the challenge is going to be. So if we had started long ago and did things correctly, the upfront cost at that time would have been, yes, high, but in the long term, it would have paid off and we'd be in a better spot. By pushing off, the cost to do this is going up. Right? And so that makes it harder and harder on the political side to say, well, we want to raise your taxes so that we can clean up our air more and more and more. Well, if we had done it right at the beginning, it wouldn't have been a problem. So I think this kind of sounds like what we're going through right now with the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, we're dealing with months and months of repercussions when if we had prepared for this or done something drastic from the beginning, we might be in a different spot than we are right now. Exactly. People are afraid to have to pay more to do these kind of changes we need to do. But in the long run, if we do it now, then it will be less money and we'll save money in the end. Emily's, I know we've already been breaking voting records across the country and in Miami-Dade County. Yeah, I spoke with the Assistant Deputy Supervisor of Elections here in Miami-Dade County, Robert Rodriguez. Robert, how is voting going so far here? So far, it's going well. We've uh, mailed out over 630,000 vote-by-mail ballots already. That is by far the largest we've ever mailed out. The largest election we had ever mailed out vote-by-mail ballots for was the November 2018 gubernatorial election, where we mailed out, by the end, a little over 420,000 vote-by-mail ballots. So you're talking well over 200,000 more vote-by-mail ballots. So you have a lot of people that have chosen to request one. doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to vote in that method. just means that they've requested it. I can tell you up to this moment, we've received back from voters over 180,000. So you're talking about a little over around the 25% mark. We're, we're in that range, which is good. We're telling voters, please turn it in as soon as possible, because if there is a signature deficiency, we have enough time to notify you. You have enough time to correct it and get it back to us. Do you have any helpful advice for voters to make their experience as positive or as smooth as possible? Know who you're going to vote for. Know what positions you're going to take on the amendments that are on the ballot, any questions you may have, so that your time inside of a precinct or an early voting location is minimized. If all you have to do is go in, get your ballot, fill in your little ovals, turn it in the machine, you're good to go. What would you say to anyone who thinks there's no point in me voting, I'm just one person, or that it won't make a difference? My first election where I ever voted in was when I first turned 18, and it was for the 2000 uh, presidential election. So that year, Florida went to Bush because of 537 votes. So tell me that one vote doesn't count. Had it been 538 people voting a different way, the outcome would have been very different. So look how easy. 537 is what fits inside a restaurant sometimes. So you're, Or that's a fraction of what goes to a, a basketball game or anything of that number. So my first election was something monumental on seeing everything that came from it. So every vote does count. And I always like to tell people, just don't vote in presidential elections. You have county elections that affect your day-to-day. You have your municipal elections, which affect your everyday. We see how presidential elections, normally a turnout is around 72%. We're expecting an 80% turnout for this election. If you only have a county-wide election, like what we had in the primary for in August, we only had a 28% turnout, which is higher than we've normally had. It's still low. That's 28% of eligible voters. And then for municipal elections, you have anywhere around a 10 to 15% voter turnout. That's very low. 
your municipality and your county affect your every day. While president, yes, people like to vote on that. Your local government affects your every day. They're the ones that affect your transportation. They're the ones that affect your garbage pickups. So you need to play a role in that as well. Like I would love to see, we as a department would love to see those numbers increase because we always prepare for 100% turnout. History shows us how close elections can be. For sure. And I think history will definitely remember this one. Guys, it's actually pretty interesting. The difference in the amount of early votes casted by youth that's ages 18 to 29 is already over double of what the winning margin is in Florida was in 2016. 433,000 this year compared in 2016 to, to only 134,000. So this was my first election. I voted by mail back in my home state of Ohio. It's definitely a very consequential election to be voting uh, the first one in. Yeah, so this was actually my first time voting as well. And for me personally, I was never one to really care about politics. But with this election being one of the most important our country has ever seen, particularly for the environment, um, I really did my research and I definitely voted. It was also my first time voting in a presidential election. And I voted by mail as well. But I've actually seen a lot of people, students around campus, talking about how they went to the polls here in Coral Gables. And I think the University of Miami had an actual shuttle service that ran every 30 minutes or so, taking students from campus to the polling sites, which I thought was really interesting. So that is very cool. I voted in the last election as well, so I guess that makes me an uh, older, younger person. But I voted by mail both times, and I even checked this time to see uh, whether my ballot was counted, and it was, so that's super cool. Um, but these uh, numbers are very encouraging because... You know, every every vote does matter. And so with these many young people voting, I really think it'll make a big difference this time. So this is my first year voting. I'm originally from North Carolina, but I decided to register to vote in Florida because I know Florida is a battleground state and every vote counts. We want to give a special thanks to our guest experts. And we hope this podcast made you think a little harder about the responsibility we all have in looking out for the future of our environment no matter how this election turns out. If you haven't already, please go out to vote and remember to stay safe. Thank you all for listening.